welcome to Maiden Speech. My name is Monica Ferguson, portrait photographer and self-love advocate from New Zealand. Each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to uplift and empower you. Thanks for hanging out. Now let's get into it. Hey, hey, friends. Welcome back to the latest episode of Maiden Speech. Monica Ferguson here. And I was really, really excited to be able to catch up again with Jess Stewart, author and speaker who I got to speak with about a year ago about imposter syndrome. And I was really, really excited to talk about perfectionism, which is obviously something that impacts so many of us in our ability to feel worthy, to feel valuable, and this need to achieve and to earn value and earn worth and so this was a great conversation she really opened up and she had a lot of amazing insights so enjoy Jess Stewart welcome back my friend (laughs) thank you good to be here thanks so much I'm so excited to hear about this because I had so many amazing comments on our last book this was what I think you're my first one we're my first podcast one or two so this will be But see, the, um, it's quite poetic, really, because our last one was on imposter syndrome, which is exactly where I was at. So this is good. You've guided me through. <laughs> I love it. Oh, cool. So super, super psyched to hear about our topic today, which is perfectionism. Um, so what has been your kind of journey to get, like, your interest in this topic and, and how have you come to it? Uh, it's a funny one because uh, when I was in the corporate world, I kind of always used perfectionism as a plus, you know, this means I always work hard and I always do a really good job and I thought that it was a strength of mine and I hadn't ever really thought much about it since then and delivering the imposter syndrome workshops and keynotes over the last couple of years, it keeps coming up and I've found through all the people that I've worked with with the imposter syndrome work that perfectionism can be a direct link from imposter syndrome and it can be one of the things that manifests because of our imposter syndrome and that's really where it kind of piqued my interest and I was like you know what this resonates for me too I want to look more into this and find out what is it and is it actually a strength and because we talk a lot about burnout and overwhelm as well and and the two are linked so how do we make sure that we use it as a strength rather than our undoing I love it. Speaking of perfectionism, can you hear that really loud siren in the background at my end? No. Oh, that's good because there's a um, we live across the road from the fire station, and I was like, my first thing was, cut, like, we'll cancel this, we'll cut it out. I'm like, no, we're not going for perfectionism here. This is some real life stuff. Podcast. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, amazing, amazing. So, I reckon like. Every time that I have a conversation like this, in my mind, I always come back to self-worth as the basis because it's like, it seems to me that if everything comes off that, right? So like, it's all based on like, if we don't have that really strong foundational self-worth and understanding of our value and that kind of thing, then are we more likely to try and compensate by trying to be perfect and like from a state of ego instead of, yeah, value? (laughs) yeah oh totally you've hit the nail on the head with self-worth because the reason perfectionism manifests is because we feel we're not doing enough or we're not enough as we are so we need to do more you know whether it's our life or whether it's what we do at work we're always thinking this needs to be better this needs to be perfect I need to do more this isn't good enough Um, and that comes from our self-worth but it also links into the self-worth we've built around 
being busy um, in our society. So there is this drive to do more and to perfect everything you do and get everything right because we have this attachment to, if I'm doing lots of work and I'm working really hard and I'm working twice as hard as everybody else, that means I'm a better person and I'm worth more to society and I'm productive. Um, all the things that we've taught ourselves around this kind of busy mantra. And it does all link back to the value that we feel in ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And this is something I actually love about your presence, especially online, is that you share a lot about you going to the beach, you know, like taking time out. Because I feel like, and this has been such a huge piece of work for me as well, is to undo this thing of I need to earn it. Like I need to... If I'm really busy, then I feel important and I feel, and actually, um, that's not the case, but it is such a, like, it really screws with your head, right? Because that is our whole society. Like, so how do we even start with this? Like, we... <laughs> <laughs> totally. And look, I mean, that, this was my journey with being a perfectionist. I would, in my corporate career, I'd rather stay late at work, not just to prove myself as busy and important, but, um, and the status thing, but also because I felt that taking time out was the opposite of being productive and, and valuable, that it was lazy and I, it wouldn't be as useful. And I burnt out. So that was like learning the hard way around, actually this stuff has to come first. And rather than me trying to perfect a presentation or rereading a report for the 10th time, if I'm taking that time to go out and have a walk or go to the beach or finish early and hang out with my family, that's gonna put me in a better space. And, I liken it to this concept of slowing down to speed up. Like if you take more time out for you, the work you end up doing when you are working is a better quality. So you're more effective and you get stuff done quicker. But that re requires us to take that downtime in the first place, that kind of foundation from which we build. And that's the hard piece, particularly when we're sort of the messages we get in society are all around do more, be better, get it perfect. Yeah, and the hustle, the hustle culture that we've got yeah. now. Hustle, hustle, hustle. <laughs> I heard um, Elon Musk said something recently about you've just got to work, you know, 80 to 100 hours a week and that's it. And that's how you become successful. Um, and do you follow Mind Valley? Have you heard of them? No. Uh, they were talking about that actually after 50 hours a week, you're not productive anymore. So, exactly. But it is this thing, this unlearning of like, and I, I've, mon I've honestly been reflecting on this within myself for so many years, how just the connection between ego and how it does, it makes me feel worthy when I have a bunch of stuff to do and lots of people to see and it yeah. makes me feel important. But then, like you say, the understanding that actually we're so much more effective when we've taken time to look after ourselves. And, and that, that oh, should be totally. a part of it, especially for people in business, I think. Actually going to meditate and take time to go to the beach and go for a walk and read a book and just be still enables us to show up the way we do for our clients. But it's such as unlearning. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It is. It's an unlearning. And I, you know, the way I look at it is if to be successful, you cannot be successful without your health. And yeah. the more vitality you have, the better the quality of the work you produce will be. And so that's, for me where it all starts and that starts with looking after ourselves and that enables us then to be the person we want to be um you know 100 hours a week is not going to enable that at all i, I would imagine elon musk yeah. has, has a massive team of people that are supporting him with those hours per week in terms of his success yeah totally so i was thinking before when you're talking about perfectionism especially like when you're going to work and that kind of thing and doing a thousand hours 
is there an element of control in that? Like, because I've noticed lately, a lot of my coaching clients, they talk about things like, you know, it needs to happen like this. It needs to be like this. And I'm like, or what? I need to get married by the time I'm 29 or it'll be the end of the world. Kind of thing. <laughs> I need to have this house in this way at this time. You know, it's like, is there a need for, because I'm, and this is it, I'm going to go super woo-woo here. I keep thinking about control and surrender, right? So like if, is there a need here in terms of perfectionism to actually be able to release and let go? Because it seems like perfectionism is really like holding on tight and trying to control everything. Yeah, there's a massive control piece in there. I mean, yes, we are bred to be perfectionists because of this need to prove ourselves and be enough. But it also comes from this feeling of, if I don't do it, it won't be done properly. It won't be done my way. I know how to do it best. It'll be quicker if I do it. All those things we tell ourselves, which is why we end up doing more or working twice as hard. Or, you know, it's, it's twofold. It is from this feeling of... Um, value and self-worth but also from a control place too it can be yeah i love that that's how yeah. it sense so where do you think this not being enough thing comes from it's an interesting one um there is this kind of self-improvement myth i feel that you know we've personal development is big the self-help industry is big i'm a massive part of that industry so yeah. i'm certainly not going to bag it but i kind of have a different slant on it and I think that self-improvement, it's not about being different, being more, being better. It's just tapping into what's there and uncovering that because most of us, particularly as women, most of us have skills, strengths and things that make us amazing, but we're too busy focusing on it has to be perfect, it has to be more, it has to be better. And it takes us away from that so we don't see all the stuff that's already there. So for me, self-improvement is about and tapping into what's already there rather than creating something new, different, more, better. Uh, there's a quote, and it's Elizabeth Gilbert that said it, and it sums it up perfectly for me. And she says, you're allowed to be a masterpiece and a work in progress simultaneously. And I think that's the thing we don't get. We feel that if we're a work in progress, we're failing. And we're always aiming to be this perfect masterpiece. Yet quite often the two coexist and we're a masterpiece because of who we are and that means we are also still a work in progress because we're developing all the time and learning whether we're 21 or 81. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's really recognizing that who we are now is perfect, that's fine. But it's like if we come at things from a place of self-love that we want to grow and evolve because we, we already accept that we're enough, then that, I guess that comes from a place of power as well instead of that I need to earn. Uh, when I'm there, I'll be better. I need to, um, you know? I think yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh totally. And it's just understanding that, you know, it, it can be amazing without being perfect. And I think that's what we, you know, in the strive for perfection, we think that anything other than perfect is failure. But it can still be really amazing and we can still be really amazing. And I think part of that, you know, we're pushing to prove ourselves and earn our place, but also comparing to others and trying to please everyone around us and deliver on societal norms to be the perfect mother or the perfect um, colleague or the perfect woman in business, whatever it is we're trying to, to aim for. Yes. So what do you think the role of comparison is when it comes to perfectionism? 
I think that is exacerbates it totally because we will always look at someone else and feel like we're falling short. We have this image of, you know, there's these women out there that are being superwoman and therefore we're failing and they're not, we're not measuring up. And of course, what we see generally, what we base our assumptions on is what they post on Facebook and Instagram or what we've heard, not actually knowing that person and knowing what's going on in their head. And quite often where the self-worth piece is, where the perfectionism is, where the overwhelm, burnout, that's all prevalent for those people. Um, yet it leaves us feeling short, falling short and comparing ourselves to these people that, that we think we should be more like. Yeah, this comparison thing just, it just seems like it's getting worse as well, not to be negative, but I think that the impact of social media is really harmful in terms of this comparison thing. And especially like, I was actually talking about this on a live last night, how um, we only, like people do only put on the highlight stuff online, but it's funny when you actually know people in real life, and I think we've talked about this before as well, like you know your friends yeah. going through something awful, but to make themselves feel better, they put something online and then everyone sees that and think, oh, I'm failing because I'm not doing that. And it's like, they're not either. And I get, <laughs> for me, like, this is where I want these conversations to be going is that we're actually able to start opening up about the fact that we're all in the same boat. We all think mm -hmm. that we're not, well, we're all working on it, but for most of us really have to overcome this feeling that we're not enough and that we have to earn these things. And, you know, this is where like, starting to photograph women it was just I really became aware of how strong that belief is that every single person like I was reflecting on this yesterday and five years of being a photographer I never had one person walk into a shoot and say woohoo I can't wait to see me you know everyone just yeah. expects the worst they're like will you be able to get one good photo of me like I'm you know I'm really unphotogenic I'm I'm and all the words that we use to describe ourselves that are never nice. You know, we never come in and say, I've got the most amazing eyes. I can't wait to see these photographs. It's always yeah. like, this is my bad side. Can you, you know? And it's like, yeah. but then thinking about the, the role of comparison too, because we're comparing ourselves to everyone else, but we're all one of a kind. We're designed that way. So why, why do we do that? <laughs> yeah, I think the danger with comparison is most of what we compare to isn't real. So we're always going to fall short. You know, if you're comparing yourself to a photo that's been airbrushed on Facebook, um, then you're never going to look like that because it's not real. And equally, somebody else's perfect life on social media, if your life doesn't feel like it's measuring up, it's because you're only seeing one side of their life. So we're not comparing apples to apples. So then when we beat ourselves up and feel like we're falling short and life is not perfect, it's because what we're comparing to isn't real. And that's the real danger of comparison because we set ourselves up to fail. Yeah. And that's the real irony I feel with perfectionism. I always describe it like if you imagine a scale of success and 0% is right at the bottom, that's pretty much failure. We want to go as far away from that as possible. We're so scared of failing that we want to go as far away as possible. And in that respect, even 100% on the scale isn't enough. Perfectionists want that extra above and beyond and often the stuff that isn't attainable because we are all human and by virtue of that we are imperfect we make mistakes you know sometimes we don't look as good as we think we should all yeah. of those things because we're human and that's fine but chasing this vision of perfectionism sets us up to fail because it isn't real it doesn't exist yeah and i guess the thing too is that you never get there like 
it's really cliche, I guess, but it is the journey, not the destination, right? <laughs> it's so cheesy, but it's true because I guess we never actually get there. And I think this is one thing too that even, I mean, being surrounded, you know, both of us and meeting other women in business, we set a goal and then we get it and then we're already setting the next one without taking a second to actually celebrate that or be proud of ourselves or you know do anything positive so we could always just be looking for the next thing the next thing and never get it whereas actually in 10 minutes we could sit here and just focus on things about ourselves that we've overcome reflect on how far we've come be proud of ourselves and totally feel amazing about what we've done in this moment but it is it's such a mindset thing and I find it really interesting especially in New Zealand with the whole tall puppy thing and how we don't seem to give ourselves permission to go there it's like we're not allowed to love ourselves or to celebrate ourselves or to be bold or be confident if you're confident you love yourself you're up yourself well yeah I do love myself like what's wrong with that you know it seems like there's so many things that we just need to start shifting and that's why I'm really like grateful to have this platform and you know to be able to talk to people like you because I think it's so important that we're actually talking about a new way that actually is a lot more positive. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. And I don't think, I mean, for me, that's not about kind of life changing or life being different. That's just about how we view it. And the, we yeah. know that the brain is wired. It has this negativity bias. It's wired to think of the things we don't like, the things we've failed at, all of that stuff. Um, but when we start to train it to see more of the positives and start doing that reflection on, hey, this has gone well, these are the reasons I'm happy to be me today, um, and building that confidence, you're retraining the brain. And you're right, we do live in a society where that's not been encouraged because of the whole kind of tall poppy thing and be modest and don't talk about what you're good at. But when you put that with this negativity bias of our brain's ability to pick up all the things that are going wrong for us, it's like a perfect storm. And that's what makes us feel like we're not enough because all we see when we look out at our life is the things that have gone wrong, the things we don't like about ourselves, the things we could improve in, but all the positives are there too. Our brain is just not wired to see them as often as it does the negative. I think that's the big thing to write, that you actually have to very intentionally shift that. Like, you have to look for it. It won't just hit you in the face. Or it might be hitting you in the face and you don't notice. If you're too busy focusing on all the bad things, like we were saying this morning, you know, I had one of those mornings where it was just like one thing after the other. But it's, um, like I said, it'll be a hilarious story, which it will. And I'll (laughs) I'll, uh, embellish a little to make it more more hilarious. But it is that thing of, um, and I feel like it's so easy that once, one thing happens just how quickly you can spiral like one person says something bad to you and then all of a sudden you make a little story up about it and this means this oh and here's some more evidence to support that I'm not very good at my job or I don't my I have bad friends or I'm not lovable or whatever and it's like it's just so easy for it to just totally blow up (laughs) yeah and that negativity bias will go looking for those things for that evidence But the more we train our brain to to be more positive, that evens out. So what we start to see is a more even representation of what's actually real, the things that have gone well, the things we are good at, as well as all the other stuff that exists, rather than just focusing in on that because it's the negative. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what are your personal kind of things that you do for yourself to build yourself up and to lift yourself up and all that kind of thing? And like to, to counteract this perfectionism thing, if that's where you started, what has been your process to get to where you are now? 
Yeah, I mean, the, the learning curve for me was the burnout and the sort of um, importance of self-care and taking time out. And that changed my perception on, um, you know, actually, it's not important that I work until nine o'clock tonight to get this perfect. What's more important is that I have that time out to rest. Otherwise, whatever I do tomorrow is going to be less than perfect, too. <laughs> and probably the day after and the day after that. So that was kind of a perspective shift on our priorities and starting with me first. And then it's just this letting go. I mean, particularly when you start running your own business, you're doing so many things. And in the early days, so much of it is trial and error that you get used to failing. And I think when you give yourself permission to fail, you get less hung up on things being perfect because what it teaches you is, hey, look, that didn't go how I planned. That wasn't perfect. But I've learned a lot from that. And I wouldn't have learned those lessons had it not have turned out like that. So it starts to become a positive rather than a negative. I remember when I first started putting on events, when I got to Wellington, I didn't know anybody. And I set up a meetup and I used to do free events. So people didn't have to pay to come. And sometimes no one came. <laughs> that was a real, you know, if I'd have looked at that and gone, that's not perfect. In fact, it's far from it. It's probably failure. I should never do this again. I wouldn't be in the space I am now kind of, you know, selling out events. So it's that whole kind of learning curve and how we view that perspective that then lessens the need for things to be perfect because you start to see that actually it can be amazing and not be perfect or it can be really shitty and you fail and you learn something valuable from it, which then leads you to what ends up being success. So it's a less than perfect path, but it leads you to the right destination. Yes. I love that. Oh, we're all about the journey and the path and the destination today. I love it. But I love that thing about failure and how looking at, it, at failure as failure, not as we are a failure. Like this didn't work. It's not that I'm not good or I'm not working. It's like, it's just a lesson. I love that. Yeah. We all have so many stories like that. And again, this platform is exactly, I wanted us to be able to talk about this stuff because it's so easy to look at everyone else's Facebook pages and think, oh, and say, oh, Jess is so talented. She's selling out and not know that you're sitting in a hall and no one turned up. Like riddled yeah. with imposter syndrome going, oh my God, I'm, I need to go get a bank job, you know? <laughs> totally. But you know what that taught me? That process taught me so much that I needed to learn about marketing. I know nothing about marketing and, and those um, lessons have taught me so much that I now can get it right. But I wouldn't have known that had I had the initial failing and let go of that. It's not perfect, therefore I'm a failure and I'm not, never going to try again. Um, I've also, some of the, the tips I've been sharing this year, I've also stopped following people that make me feel inferior. Yes. So, you know, that whole comparison yeah. thing. I just don't look at what they're doing because that allows me to focus on what I'm doing. And that's no offense to them. Yeah. But equally, having said that, when you're someone in the public eye and you've got a social media presence, not everyone will like what you're doing either. And that's a really good way of being able to let go of that. I need to please everyone. I need to be perfect. And it's like, well, I'm just going to focus on me and do what I do. And some people will like it and others won't. And that's fine. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's still going to be as good as I can do it. And that is me being me. And that's far better than anything else that I can do. Yeah. Oh, I love that so much. And see, I feel like it comes back to self-worth again. 100% you need to be able to be okay with and because I noticed this social media as well is very interesting um because yeah I noticed that you know people unfollow me from time to time and that kind of thing or you notice that people that used to support you all of a sudden are gone 
and it would be so easy to be like, oh my God, what have I done? Da, 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 da. But actually yeah. sometimes, oh, it doesn't actually matter, does it? It doesn't actually matter. Like we will never know as long as, and I feel like even like my last podcast that I did was all about purpose and why. And I guess actually this comes into perfectionism as well. Um, because actually when you're connected to who you are and what you feel like you're here for, it makes it easier to, yeah, to get up when you get knocked down, when no one turns up to your event, to go, okay, but I know that this is what I'm here for, so I'll find a different way. Instead totally. of feeling like a failure and that you should just go home to bed and never get out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah, I, um, what do you think about, when it comes to perfectionism and self-talk, what do you think the role of that is? Um, I think it's probably, you know, we, we listen to the self-talk that leads us into the action that is perfectionism. So that self-talk, and that obviously comes from our self-worth, that self-talk that is, you're not doing enough, this needs to be better, you need to do more. Um, that's what generally puts us in the space of perfectionism. Um, I think there's, a, there's always a balance between um, getting it done and getting it perfect. And I think that's the bit we struggle with, with perfection. So in our minds, we're like, well, is it done or can it be better? And yes, it can always be better. I mean, I'm uh, just writing my third book at the moment. And when I look back at the last two, they've been published for years now, but there's still things I could have done in them that would have been better, things I could have changed that would have made them perfect. But if I was still perfecting them now, they wouldn't be on the shelf. So there is this saying that sometimes done is better than perfect. And at some point you have to stop listening to that self-talk that says, yeah, but what if, and what about this? And what will that person think? And is this enough? And should I do this different? Should I spend more time on this? Once it's done and it's enough, um, then yeah, done is better than perfect. Yeah. Totally. So what do you think the, like, I'm just wondering if, do you think a lot of this sort of the struggle in letting go of things, is it because we care what other people think? Like that we feel we'll be judged if things aren't perfect or, or do you think it's that we judge ourselves? I don't know. I guess there are many, many reasons why we could struggle with this. Yeah, it's both. It's both. So we are hung up on our own. Perfectionists have really high expectations of themselves and often others around them as well. And so, yes, it is about our own expectations. And I'm not, even though the person, so for example, say I'm doing a piece of work for someone that's asked for it, even though the person's asked for this piece of work to be, say, you know, 80 to 100% on the scale of quality, once I get to 100% as a perfectionist, rather than saying, okay, great job done, let's deliver it, it's, but it could be better. And so it's that feeling of, I could make this better and your own expectations that you're comparing that to. But also then there's the stuff that goes around that, that we've talked about in society, you know, the, or oh, everyone else is doing this better, or I need to work harder on this. I need to work twice as hard to prove myself or to prove my worth, or what will they think if it only takes me a day and it doesn't take me a week? Those kind of things that also feed into that push to spend more time on something, to perfect it, to get it more than 100% when 100% is exactly what is required and everybody will be happy with that and you've already exceeded expectations so any additional effort time energy you put in on that project is time effort and energy you're not putting into something else whether that be yourself whether that be your family whether that be another piece of work you know we talk about being busy and overloaded if we're perfectionists we are working twice as hard than we need to 
And so that's one of the reasons we are busy and overloaded and overwhelmed. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Okay, random question. <laughs> Just play with me on this one. She's like, I brace myself now. Um, when you go to speak, right, because how often you have big crowds, like hundreds of people. Yeah. Do you get nervous before you speak? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, it generally these days depends on uh, the location, the people that are in the audience, the occasion. It's funny, I can be delivering um, something that I've delivered a hundred times and never been nervous about. But if I'm delivering it at the beach or alongside celebrities, for some reason I'm nervous. And it, that's, that's going back to that whole imposter piece of do I belong here? Am I good enough to be in this place or on this stage or alongside these people? It's not about my abilities to, to deliver because I've done it a hundred times and I know that, you know, I know the topic off by heart. I know exactly what I'm going to say. I know I've had good feedback in the past. It's more about that feeling of belonging and comparison to others or, you know, the occasion. Am I good enough to be here on this stage? Um, yeah, that's, that's where that comes from. Yeah. And I love that you're so open about that too, because I, again, it's so easy, right, to look at, like, to sit, and I've heard you speak and be like, oh, she's just crushing it, you know, like, it looks so easy, it's probably effortless for her, you know, and it's like, it's so, and I know that's not true, but it's so easy to look at other people, like, for example, whenever yeah. I go to these, like, networking meetings and stuff, everyone always says to me, you speak so well, and I am dying inside, I feel like... <laughs> I'm like dribbling and like a stuttering idiot and everyone's like, speak so well. And it's so funny to, to think about the difference between, and I mean, certainly with photography, I found this, you know, around perception that the way people see themselves is so far removed from what they actually look like. And like I say, but it's that negative bias. They think they're hideous. They think we look like Shrek. And then you show them that they look more like Angelina Jolie and you're just like, oh you know and it's like yeah but it's that thing of being able to see other people but why are we like this like why is it so hard for us to see ourselves clearly like mm -hmm. it's because it's there's such a disconnect that it's yeah it's fascinating yeah and partly it is that negativity bias combined with all the societal norms the messages we've had growing up all of that stuff, the comparison we do to others, the role of the media and the image presented as, you know, this is who you should be to be pretty or to be loved. Um, all of those things, there's a multitude of things that come together to make that the way it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And on that, the comparison thing, especially from like the physical standpoint is interesting because um, it changes every 10 minutes. You know, like, did you see, um, I think it was the end of last year, one of those Facebook challenges came out and it was like, you put a photo up of you now and 10 years ago, side by side. Ah, uh, yes, when we turned the decade. Yeah, yeah. and um, the photo of me that came out, it was when, you know, having no eyebrows was really trendy, like really thin eyebrows. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, like horrified. But that was cool at the time. And it's so interesting, oh yeah, to think back about, yeah, the people like the Marilyn Monroes who were considered the most beautiful woman and, and now it's all, like it's so different. So it, we are setting ourselves up to fail, right? Actually, by looking oh, at totally. I mean, but again, like yeah. the voices like this need to be louder, I think, of that's actually a ridiculous concept. Like it changes every 10 seconds. We're not meant to look like prepubescent boys and we're all different for a reason. Like 
Yeah. <laughs> and it's, and even, even, in the, even in the now, you look across different cultures and it's so different. You know, in some cultures it's cool to be skinny. In other cultures, actually, that's a sign of being poor and you won't be good at bearing children and therefore it's the opposite. Um, I remember when I was in uh, Thailand, I spent some time out there teaching English to Buddhist monks. And whenever I wasn't teaching, I would be sitting in the sun because I love the sun. And the Thai women were horrified and they would say to me, you are ruining your beautiful English skin. And whilst in the Western world, we want to be tanned because we think we look healthy. Yeah. In the East, it's the opposite. They think pale skin is beautiful. And they actually, you know, there's all these skin whitening creams that do terrible things to their health that they actually put on them to make their skin whiter. Yeah. Whereas those of us with white skin are all busy trying to make our skin browner. And you're like, wow, you know, that's that different, what we feel is beautiful or successful or the norm can change. And it's all about the mindset and the messages we're given that impact that mindset. It's so interesting. Firstly, I feel so pasty right now. Now that I actually look at us on camera, I'm like, oh, I look like Casper the Ghost. But all right. <laughs> anyway, but do you think, on that note, that what we think is beautiful is whatever we aren't? Because like, I remember people saying, like, for example, naturally I have curly hair, but I'll straighten it from time to time. And I remember someone saying to me once, we always want what we don't have. And I was like, interesting, isn't it? Is it like, we think that yeah, everyone else is beautiful. We are not beautiful. Therefore, I need to be like them, which is not me, in order to be beautiful. Yeah, I think it's more that we just focus on the things we haven't got that we feel we should have. So, you know, there you know, we might have beautiful eyes, but that's not what we're busy thinking about. We're thinking about my hair should be straighter or shorter or a different color or, you know, the part we focus in on the parts we want to change, not just about ourselves, but about our life. Yeah, that's why a gratitude practice um, is so important in sort of training the brain to start to see the things in our life that we are grateful for and that we have, because otherwise we spend our whole time focusing on the things we haven't. And then that makes us feel like our life's a bit crap and it should be different and that we're failing. Yeah. So it's all about kind of shifting the perspective and the mindset so that it's a more even balance of what we see when we look out through our eyes. Yeah, I love it. So what's your, what are your kind of practices that you do around things like gratitude and that kind of thing? Yeah, so I have a gratitude practice. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd say most days, but I'd probably be more accurate if I said once a week. Yes. <laughs> That's closer to when that actually happens. So I have a gratitude journal that I fill out once a week, and I try and think of things that I'm grateful for most days. I have a meditation practice in the mornings that just kind of grounds me and keeps me a little bit sane and gives me... Um, a clear mind to start the day. I like to move, so not running or anything too crazy, but yoga and getting out in nature and walking, sitting in the sun, having the sun on my skin is a massive thing that makes me feel good. Um, and I also reflect each week on my successes, so what's gone well this week and why, because I think that, again, retrains the brain to stop looking at all the things that have gone badly, which we look at anyway, but it just evens it out so that it's also looking at things that have gone well and, and what we're good at, because then the next time we're doubting our worth, we have the evidence in our brain to give more of an accurate picture on the reality. Uh, the same with when we're looking at our life and saying my life is failing and that everyone else's life is so great. If we've been grateful for the last month every day, the brain is more predisposed to see that more evenly and go, yeah, okay, so this is wrong in life at the moment, but actually this, this, and this is going pretty well. 
Yeah. Uh, it's just a more yeah. real reflection, and those things really help me um, just keep a perspective, I think, because my life is no different to anybody else's. It's not a bed of roses all the time, but it allows me to see the good and the bad. Um, same with, you know, successes and failures. It allows me to see that alongside every failure, I am also having successes, and so it's not so bad. And I'm human, so I'm going to fail, and that's fine. Yeah, and I love that too, though, that you actually take time to reframe, because I think this is the biggest thing, that we, and our mutual friend Zareen has helped me so much to understand this around, honestly, the amount of times that woman pops into my head in a day is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Great. But she is, but around like narrative, and so I catch myself, I'll think something, and then I catch myself making up a story about it, like, there's a thought, and then I decide what it means. And that usually has no basis in reality whatsoever. That it's like, oh, you know, some, like for example, this morning someone called me up to help me out with something and genuinely to help me grow, which is what I'm all about. And I somehow twisted it because I was having a crap morning into it's because I'm not good enough. He's telling me I'm not good enough. I need to be better. And it was like, and then 10 minutes after, and I was like, oh, you know, so I'm sorry. Like, and I'm sorry, text, but how quickly. And this is something that Zareen helped me with as well, you know, to understand the way that we react to things is totally based on what has happened to us that day. Like, if that yeah. call had come yesterday, I would have been like, woo, I'm killing it. But today, because <laughs> everything was just, you know, I just reacted so badly to it. And I'm like, it's such a fascinating thing. But I'm, I am grateful for the fact that I'm able to catch that now and not let that snowball into, oh, yeah finding 20 more reasons why I'm not good enough and you know like (laughs) yeah and I think that's where the mindfulness practice um has helped me so meditating allows me to be more self-aware but also it increases the um so with meditation it increases the space between thoughts and emotions and with that space you get the ability to notice but to also react so you get more time and space to react differently so for me, it's about going, oh, okay, so this, I, I can notice now that this feeling is arising in me and this is jealousy. This is jealousy because that person is doing really well. Well, how can I reframe that to be more useful for me? Um, let's celebrate for that person who's doing really well because that's their business. It's no reflection on me and it doesn't mean that I'm not doing as well. And that space that you get between the thought or emotion and your reaction enables you to do that stuff as opposed to, you know, when I, I, I used to be very angry, which people never sort of, um, <laughs> yes, when they meet me now, we're talking like 10 years ago, and I could have walked out, smashed the door, said something I regret and punched a hole in the wall, all before I'd noticed that I was actually getting angry. Um, and that's the power of having that awareness, but also the ability to react and do something with that thought or emotion before it eats you up. And like you say, you've got on a a tangent of analyzing what that means and why that means you're not as good um, <laughs> as you should be. Yeah. Oh man, meditation. All my friends are just like, can you shut up about it, please? Because honestly, it's so funny because in the beginning I was sort of pushed into it and now it is a non negotiable, at least once a day, if I'm having an interesting day a couple of times, even, you know, <laughs> just to like reset because that's, I, oh, I love how you described that. Like, it does, it slows you down. It's like, it gives you this clarity where you can see things clearly. But then I find that I'm much more productive anyway, because you're more present in what you're doing. 
So it's like you slow down, but you speed up at the same time. It's this weird, yeah. oh, it's incredible, absolutely incredible, which I feel like in a weird way, like everything goes for me anyway, back to self-worth and it probably goes back to meditation now as well. Cause I guess if we go back to the topic, um, which is obviously made up of so many other things, but what is the role in, you know, awareness when it comes to perfectionism? Massive. And meditation helps us. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, the key with awareness where perfectionism is concerned is sometimes when we talk about not doing things perfectly, people will say to me, oh, well, does that mean you're not doing a good job? And I say, it's not about lowering the bar. It's about resetting it to a realistic level. So that awareness of knowing when good enough is enough. Because in a perfectionist eyes, you've got one of two things. You've got perfection and anything else is failure. Even almost perfection is failure because it wasn't perfect. And that's where we set ourselves up to fail. So that awareness of, okay, where, where is a realistic level to set the bar for whatever it is I'm about to achieve? That will not necessarily be perfect, but will be good enough, will still be amazing. Mm, good enough. Oh my gosh, I'm yeah having some flashbacks. So um, when I started my photography business and sitting, staring at a photo on a screen for hours and trying to make it perfect, and you never can, like you just can't, right? I could work on a photo for the rest of my life and still find things that I could improve. And because as you improve as an artist, you, you learn new things. And so exactly like you with your books, when I look back at my first photos, I'm like, oh my God, like I can't believe that in the world. But there is that point where it's like, that is good enough. And that's what I say to myself. I'm like, is this up to my normal standard? And, and again, the perception thing and perspective and understanding that the way that I look at it and the way that my client looks at it is so different. Like chances are for my client, they're going to look at these photographs and think these are the most beautiful photographs I've ever seen of myself. And I'm sitting there going, and the things that I notice even in the background are things that um, no one else would even see, you know? And it's like, but it's good enough, Understand, like giving yourself permission almost to just go, Monica, go to bed. It's midnight. Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 It's good enough and it'll be amazing in their eyes. So it doesn't need to be perfect in yours. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Okay. So it's, a, it's an interesting journey and it is a journey with perfectionism. It isn't something that you just decide one day you're going to wake up and say, right, I'm not going to be a perfectionist anymore. But being aware is the starting point. And from that, you can start to kind of gain that perspective um, and sort of readjust where the bar is set. Yeah, totally. So what are you, what are you saying to people? You know, you've got perfectionists coming to you. Where do you start them off in terms of, you know, improving things? Um, a lot of the tips we've talked about, I think one of the big things is, um, you know, helping people understand that the to-do list will never be complete. You know, as fast as you tick stuff off, more will, more will come. That's just going to happen. And yeah. even when we die, there will still be things on our to-do list. And if they're that important, other people will do them. Yeah. And that sometimes you know, we have to ask for support or delegate. And that's not a sign of weakness because you can't do it all by yourself. It's And that sometimes that does have to mean you relinquish some control and have other people do stuff uh, that may or may not do it as well as you. But as a perfectionist, it's either that or you burn out, or you spend twice as much time as you need to working on stuff that you're then not spending on other things like your health or your family or the things that you love in your life. Um, one of the things I often say to people is just because we're capable of brilliance 
doesn't mean we'll be brilliant every day. And I think that's a real key, you know, because we are capable of brilliance, we expect it all the time. And then when we have our off days and maybe we're not as good as we were yesterday, we beat ourselves up because we're not brilliant every day. Um, and we're human and we're never gonna be brilliant every day. So it's embracing what's real and knowing that that's still awesome without everything has to be perfect all the time, otherwise I'm failing. Yeah, I love that. Amazing. Okay, that feels like the perfect place to wrap up. I know you're going to be bringing out a lot more like workshops and stuff. Can't wait to see your next book. So people can absolutely follow you if they want to learn more about this from you. Yes, definitely. Yeah, head to the website. That's the best place, jessstuart.co.nz. Perfect. Awesome. Cool. Thank you so much for your time. I love this chat. No worries. <laughs> Always nice to chat to you. Right back at you. And have an awesome rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Yeah, no, that sounds good. I hope today continues to improve for you. Hey, you have turned <laughs> this around for me. It's a great day. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. It's my pleasure. Okay, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> See ya. See ya.